So right now, they are roughing the shoes. Um, once they finish lasting it, they usually put a cork on the bottom, and then that cork gets sanded down before it gets glued onto the outsole. So what you're hearing right now is kind of like their process of either sanding the shoe down so it can fit in the cup sole or completing a shoe. You are listening to Change Lab, conversations on transformation and creativity. I'm Lauren Buckman, president of Art Center College of Design. Ari Montanez is a fall 2018 product design graduate of Art Center who spent much of his life aspiring to succeed in a highly competitive arena, ideally one called Madison Square Garden or Staples Center. Indeed, this is a man who wanted to follow his hero, LeBron James, to become a player in the NBA. But when it became apparent that his hoop dreams might be just slightly out of reach, Ari pivoted with the agility of a point guard to pursue a parallel career as an athlete shoe designer. Under the mentorship of footwear design legend Dwayne Edwards, Ari discovered Art Center College of Design. There he would channel his passions for basketball, sneaker culture, and drawing into a gig as a professional shoe designer. His determination and dedication paid off. Several months before he graduated, Ari accepted a job offer from No One, a startup sneaker company specializing in high-end handmade shoes. Each season at Change Lab, we dedicate one episode to capturing a student or recent graduate, just as they're poised to leave Art Center to embark on their creative travels. Ari's journey from aspiring athlete to hands-on maker seemed like the perfect narrative to kick off the fourth season of the podcast. In this episode, moreover, and in many that follow, we have added field reporting segments. They are intended to complement my studio interviews with behind-the-scenes coverage. They provide a glimpse into the making and magic that occurs on any given day inside the studios and workplaces of our guests. Please enjoy my conversation with Ari Montanez. Tell us about you. Where were you born? Where'd you grow up? Yeah. A little bit about your family background. Of course. So um, I grew up in New Jersey and New York. My dad and my mom were, you know, of the creative fields. My dad was a fashion designer. Uh, he had a brand in the early 90s by the name of Willie Esco. And then my mom, uh, she was always in the comedy scene and also in the radio scene as well. So being submersed in those different types of uh, cultures in that in that household was very keen for me growing up. So I always did things differently because I saw a different field of, you know, work being done. I saw a more creative side. All throughout my life, I was more so, wasn't, I was on the fence of not being like a troublemaker, but, you know, being f trying to find yourself, you could say. You know, third grade, I was always in trouble. I always got in trouble and I always got sent to the principal's office. But I just figured out a way to get sent to the principal's office in order to draw. Were you aware of that at the time? Or is this a kind of reflection from a more adult position? It's more of a reflection okay. from an adult position. I think I had always enjoyed drawing what I saw first. And, you know, having that kind of mindset at that age, it was more like I was, I was craving to draw. My, um, my family members were really, really good illustrators. And my, mo my mom was a really good illustrator. My uncles were amazing fine artists as well. 
So I saw that early, and then mm-hmm. it was like it always pushed me to really, really want to learn how to draw. That's pretty cool. It is. So one of the questions I love to ask any of the guests of this podcast, but particularly students and yes. graduates of Art Center like yourself, is if you can go back, it's it's all about the creative spirit of who you were as a child. If right. you could go back and you think about that kid who loved to draw, mm-hmm. can you open that up for us a little bit? Can Correct. you tell us a little bit about who that kid was and do you remember how you saw things how light was how shape was how shadow was how space operated that you felt compelled to kind of reproduce in your work is that yeah. a sensibility for you it it was early i think the emotional aspect that i got from certain things mm. kind of struck me one indefinite story that happened in my career um or my growing up excuse me um i got in trouble one time and then i got sent home to the principal's, sit home from the principal's office and my mom picked me up and then I had this DVD, I had found this DVD in my shoebox. This shoebox was about a pair of basketball shoes that I had gotten because I was playing basketball at the time as well. And um, every year, my dad would buy me a a new pair in LeBron's because he was my favorite player at the time. In a sense, he was like my version of Michael Jordan. So this DVD came in the shoebox and it was showcasing, you know, his collection as long with alongside uh, the design process. So one of the artists was uh, Jason Petrie or the designers uh, was Jason Petrie and he showed off all his sketches. Right. And vividly, I re- that's the most vivid thing that till this day that I remember it was that emotion in his sketches and that feeling that I had from that. It was the way the shoe looked, the way the look everything felt it just felt fast and it felt energetic and to me that's kind of the spirit that harnessed me was that kind of movement within artwork why do you think it moved you i think it's because it's you i didn't see that so often that kind of style mm. of art i grew up seeing more so illustrations sculptors and you know fashion illustration as well but they weren't as enticing as those transportation or product like sketches and that's what kind of made me feel like I'd, I had a heavy hand too. So if you could figure out how to use more of a heavy hand with quick thinking and quick skill sets, that's what kind of made me really, really enjoy conceptual sketching from a product and transportation style standpoint because you can get out messy sketches and they still look pretty. And is there a breakthrough, do you think, in your drawing and the quality of it? And the I mean, you're talking about the heavy hand or the lighter hand or what. Yeah. Is there a breakthrough after this pivotal moment of, of seeing this? uh not not necessarily uh, soon. It was more so in the future. That story happened around third grade. And then to kind of fast forward as a high school student, I went to the school by the name of St. Benedict's and was competing heavily, you know, to try to be a basketball player. You know, I'd seen, you know, guys like Harry Irving, Austin Rivers and things like that play in high school. And I was like, wow, these guys are great. Like, and, and this school is like famous for yes. producing NBA players, right? Yes, yeah. for NBA players and then just, you know, the next level of talent from any industry, from being right. doctors, lawyers. So, you know, I tried freshman to junior year, I tried and I was like, you know what, this might not work out. So then, you know, I was started to go to school and then I was and then I remembered that pivotal moment I had younger and then I was like, that's exactly mm. what I wanted to do. Mm. So I contacted Dwayne Edwards from Pencil. And then I think my junior going into my senior year, this was 2012, 2013, I had attended Pencil for MIT. And then I had that different type of experience, more of a maturity experience, but also 
a project-based experience, that was like the second kind of pivotal moment to make me put that staple into this is what I want as a career. Right. Well, we'll get back to Pencil and Dwayne Edwards in a minute. I'm, I'm, I'm still curious about this experience in high school and your, your focus on basketball. Yes. What happened with that? I was just too short. <laughs> <laughs> How tall are you? I'm 5'10". Uh-huh. I was too short. You know, I wasn't as athletic as some peers. I wasn't getting the recognition as, you know, some peers. And it was it, it was a blessing, of course. Um, my principal, Father Edwin, he always, he always pushed us not to just follow the typical norm of being a soccer or a basketball player and to it's okay to do other things. So... That's, that was also a pivotal moment, too, because he constantly said that, and I was like, okay, I may not be able to make it on the court, but I could figure out a way to make it on the court through my artwork, maybe. Right, right. Just to stay with the sports drawing comparison there, do they have a relationship in your life and in your consciousness? Are they connected? Does it draw on a similar kind of focus, energy, discipline, creativity? It does. It does. On the court, I always had the newest pairs of shoes on or always wanted to come out in that way. So there was a confidence factor there. <laughs> so the shoes were important on the court. <laughs> the shoes were super important. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I may not a, be as tall as the next guy, but my shoes are gorgeous. Yeah. yeah, of course. So there was a confidence factor there, and there was a keen sense of knowing what's the next shoe. So there was like, it was almost like a trend research thing. Yeah, yeah. So I would always look up things and do things like that, and that kind of translated in, oh, look at this shoe or look at that shoe. So it would, off the court, in a sense of how I would think, I would look at different things for inspiration because I would want to be ahead of the game, in a sense, on mm-hmm. both aspects. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And on a kind of theoretical level, the relationship between the kind of passion and focus and discipline it takes to be great at a sport yes. and the kind of passion, discipline, and focus. One is as a designer. and Yes. I, they kind of go hand in hand. Yeah. They, yeah. You know, you have to get up early. You have to wake up before everyone. You have to practice at your sport. You have to go through a lot of ups and downs, trial and error, and kind of failure, which is the greatest lesson anyone can have mm. is failure. Mm. And, you know, you go through those lessons, and then you understand if you really, really enjoy what you do, then you will want to, pick yourself back up from what you've learned from the next last day or the days before the years before where you didn't achieve what you wanted to yeah it's an interesting comparison all right so pencil and Dwayne edwards yes can you explain for the listeners a who Dwayne is what pencil is and then finally your connection with that Yes. So Dwayne Edwards was a former Nike Jordan brand designer who took over the reins after Tinker. And, you know, he designed from the Jordan 16 and up. And he ended up leaving Nike slash Jordan and he started his own school. He saw that in the marketplace that, you know, footwear design hadn't been taught and hadn't been seen. And he opened that realm for people who are really interested and who may not be able to attend like an art center or attend a, a Pratt or Parsons. And we were able to have that kind of intensive in like a month or two or two months, however long it might be, one of the programs might be. Right. He did one at MIT? He did. Uh, I was, that was the first one I had, I had attended. He had his first 
a high school program at MIT in Boston. So I got a chance to live out there for about two months. And that was, it was an incredible experience. It kind of almost prepared me for like my art center journey where I lived on my own. I was designing and I also was living, I was also being able to see the world. Right, right. Yeah. And are you still in high school when you attend Pennsylvania? Yes. Yeah. I, I'm going it's into... It's like a summer program or something? It was. Yeah. It was like a summer program in August where I was getting ready to go into either my junior or senior year. And um, it was just an amazing experience. And did you make a particular connection with Dwayne Edwards himself? I did, yeah. yes. Uh, as a teacher, as a... As a somebody mentor who wins, and, a and a mentor, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I didn't know what I what I was going to do as far as going into my senior year and going into either pursuing art as a career. And then he told me, you know, check out Art Center. And, you know, this is where the number one talent goes. I think you can do it. And I was like, okay, fine. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll look into it. Right. And, you know, the more and more I looked into it, it kind of was, was like, okay, let's let's do this. Let's try it. You know, I, what do I have to learn? What do I have to lose at this point? You know, was Dwayne's story itself an inspiration to you? Yeah. I mean, he's got an amazing story, right? He does. Yeah, yes. Yeah. There was a submission in the newspaper for a footwear designer, so he had drew out um, what he thought LA gears should be like, or something of that nature. So he submitted it, and then he ended up getting the job. And he becomes like head designer at LA. Yeah. Gear, right? <laughs> so just hearing that story, I was like. Wow, without a yeah, without I a college imagine. education that's and things of that inspires nature. Inspires us all, yeah. I was like, wow, that's incredible. Yeah. I was like, thank you. Right, yeah. <laughs> thank you. And then he went ahead and, and, and developed this educational program, this Correct. school. Yes. All right, so now you applied Art Center and you get into product design? I did, yes. And what happens when you arrive at Art Center? I, you know, being, I was only 17 turning 18, wow. so I was like, Whoa, <laughs> my own apartment. You didn't, there was no dorms at Hard Center. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I got to be an adult now. <laughs> uh-huh. I got to do adult things. I got to uh-huh. go grocery shopping. I can't, I got to do my own laundry. I can't ask mommy for anything or daddy. So it was a great opportunity for to learn about who I was. Was it hard? Yeah. I mean, uh, obviously the logistics were, were all yeah. new to you, but was the actual work difficult for you or was it? I would say it was difficult because I wasn't, I didn't have confidence. So I was very shy and I was very reserved about things and I was very reserved about my artwork. So I think that's where it got difficult. After that, um, I went on to actually, we did a footwear project uh, the next term in Kevin Beer's class. And then that kind of what is what broke the mold for me as far as adventuring out and just getting out of my comfort zone and meeting people and going and doing research. After those road bumps, I was able to switch the gears and really get find who I was. And then I was really able to excel through that. Beautiful. So you're quite famous at Art Center for doing this great project in Silver Lake. And <laughs> and I, I think uh, it would be really interesting to ask you to tell us about that particular yeah. project because you were a student at Art Center. This yes. is, a, again, that moment of change that you were just addressing correct. with Kevin Beard, I believe, is when it started, correct? Yes. Yeah. So we did a project that was based on local demographics that was in Silver Lake, California. Well, one, of them, one of them being Silver Lake. The other one was North Hollywood, Venice and downtown LA. Um, my group in particular, who was, we were 
picked to do Silver Lake. It was a group of three just to do the research, initial re- research, and we just submersed ourselves in Silver Lake. We learned everything we could in, in Silver Lake. We interviewed every single store owner, and based on some of the research that we did, I found who I wanted to talk to, and that was a brand called Mission Workshop. I had met Lyle Burton, who was the head of sales and the, I think the VP of sales at the store. So, you know, Did you just walk in the store? Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, for since this podcast has a national and international reach for the non-locals, just, yeah. can you tell them what Silver Lake is? Silver Lake, California is, I don't know, would you consider a small town, a small yeah. city in Los Angeles County? And it's kind of like known for the hippest, <laughs> the hippest, but not hippest place on earth, <laughs> in a sense. Right, right. And really good food. And this became your laboratory, really. When you say yeah. you conducted research there, you were getting to know that community. Getting and you to were know them. Diving in. Yeah. Right. Getting to know them, diving in, um, just hanging out, talking to the locals. And that's kind of the beauty of what research was for us at Art Center was to learn about who, learn about your target demographic and then kind of hang out with them. And then you talk and then you show them your artwork and you know, you kind of do that. That's how I conducted the research. Right. And and in the hanging out, there is always the possibility of finding some point of connection. Right? Correct. Yeah. And so for you, it was... For me, it was... Um, this mission. Lyle. Right? Yeah. It was mission, Lyle. Mission workshop. And then I met the VP at the time. He was Lyle, was Lyle Burton. And he was just hanging out in the store. And I said, hey, I'm doing this footwear project. Um, is it okay if I do it? as a conceptual project for Mission Workshop. I don't want people to think that it's a part of the brand or anything. He's like, totally. So it was awesome. I got a chance to... So tell us about what you did. So it was it was a lifestyle, um, kind of a hybrid of a Chelsea and a sport boot for the Silver Lake consumer that, you know, ideally the consumer wanted more of a um, dress-up look, but at the same time a casual look. So in a sense, it was like athleisure. It blends, you know, suede's and synthetics and that was the conceptual project for that demographic and can you explain for us or because uh, i can imagine a listener at this point thinking what does the particular world of silver lake have to do with a shoe how do you make those connections how do you work that i think that was the beauty of the project just because uh, what kevin wanted us to do was to just get very very deep on a niche target demographic and if you can design for that specific target demographic you could probably design for anyone else you know Ari as I was thinking about this conversation I found myself sort of fascinated with I mean I guess I caught fever a little bit of but but shoes and the relationship of shoes to people's identity yep and thought you'd be a great person to riff on that a little bit (laughs) too and what that all means really yeah Yeah. Um, it's it's who you are. It's it's for me. For me, growing up, that's what made you kind of who you were. Like different from other things you wear, right? Yeah, shoes have a particular yeah kind of. They were they were its own identity. Yeah. yeah, yeah. My my dad was huge on shoes, so I kind of grew up competing with him in a sense. It's a statement piece. Sometimes people make shoe contact before they make eye contact, <laughs> <laughs> and. Well, there is the cliche, the shoes make the outfit, right? That is true as well, yeah. yeah. So I I just love the fact that I could start a conversation just based on the shoes I had on. I can meet someone because I had a similar 
pair of shoes or they had they really loved those shoes or they were like, oh, nice shoes. So as a kid growing up, I always liked that kind of conversational aspect of meeting someone that I didn't know and they just make because we both made shoe contact first <laughs> living in New York and then you know walking around and it's the fashion capital so you know people stand out I wasn't I didn't really like the crazy outfits <laughs> of fashion certain fashion designers and certain people who were wanting to do fashion as a career I didn't I couldn't do anything crazy because mm-hmm. that wasn't my thing but you know if I can have a nice pair of shoes on that's what kind of made me feel like it was like in a way it's like for me early growing up it was like my form of like a soup like being a superhero like I felt like I was power like when I was playing basketball I felt like I was LeBron James so to carry that off the court I feel like when I put on a pair of shoes it's like it's gonna build my confidence you know this leads to the sort of next series of questions I have for you about where you are now and the work you're doing, Correct. which to preview a little bit smacks of a kind of a sneaker subculture that you've entered into. Correct. Yeah. 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 So tell us about the company you're with now and what they do. So I'm with No One Footwear. Um, they're an early sneaker startup based out in Venice, California, where they hand make all their shoes in-house. And, you know, the company was founded by Mark Gaynor and... He was a former, you know, graphic designer, you know, at Adidas and other things and other brands and and native as well. And then he saw an opportunity to bring back to the States hand making, but not a particular, you know, dress shoes, but sneaker sport like shoes. Mm -hmm. So he saw that opportunity because he had been in China and overseas with the factories. He really wanted to bring this whole entire process to the U.S. So he opened up no one about a year and a half ago, roughly, or maybe two years now. Mark already had seen my work. He saw Ivan. He had it. He literally pulled it up on his phone. I was like, whoa. Like Ivan was the Silver Lake Project. Ivan was the Silver Lake Project, right. and he had pulled it up. He's like, where'd you make this, or how'd you do this? I was like, I made it at school. It was a 3D printed outsole. And then we literally just had a conversation about, I don't, it wasn't even related to working there. It was just a and, and in general, how I felt about footwear. And that's kind of how his brain works. He just wants to see how you think. So, you know, we clicked then and then literally within, after 20 minutes of a conversation, he was like, when can you start? I was like, oh, I don't, I don't know. I was like, <laughs> I was like, I'm still in school. And he was, it was like, well, you know, we would like for you to start now. It's like, I can't, I was like, I can't drop out. So I was like, uh oh. So this was, I was taking maybe five or six classes at our center and then I was like you know what I had Fridays off so I would go down to their studio every Friday and I would we would work on new projects and then I ended up just gradually using my internship credits to graduate from that you know moment that I had stepped in the door I was kind of ushered into a position which was from an internship from like a three-month internship and it ushered me into a, an actual position there which was I was super grateful, and it was an amazing process just to go into post graduation. So. Ideal kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Tell us a little bit about your work, a kind of day in the life. I mean, how much are you designing? How much are you in actual crafting of the shoe? How much? It sounds like you've really gone deep in the actual craft too. Yes. And I'm interested in the relationship between the design piece and the making piece too. Yeah, originally. 
it was just only Mark and the marketing team that were doing the kind of design work until I came in. And then it was all that weight was kind of placed on me. It's not bad weight. It's great weight. And so it was just me and Mark now designing. So I was Mark's junior and I still am Mark's kind of junior designer where he he's the lead and he's the creative director. And then I fall right underneath him. So us two kind of go about thinking of new silhouettes, creating new things. He has an idea for me. I sketch it up. I, you know, render it. You know, we kind of go down in the assembly line kind of pattern. So starts off with Diego, who's like the pattern maker. He's, he's kind of like the driving force about bringing the ideas to life. And he, you know, we present ideas to him or we present patterns to him and he's able to, you know, understand those patterns and he's able to pick those up and then make bring that to life. Kaz, who's over there, who's who does all the uh, sewing, he makes, he also does kind of bring the shoe to life as well. Um, hey. I'm just stitching the lining, put together. Basically right now they have two pieces for the lining, so I just close in right now, so. After Kaz, he stitches it together and then it goes down in the process where uh, we have either Shane or Luis, um, who actually lasts the shoe. The lasting process is probably like the most funnest process as far as seeing how the shoe goes from like a 2D almost as a flat pattern and then it taking shape. So that's kind of like the coolest process you get to see is it taking that shape and them using their tools to kind of morph into however the last shape is. So they're not doing it right now, but uh, maybe in a few who might do it. So. So right now, they are roughing the shoes. Um, once they finish lasting it, they usually put a cork on the bottom, and then that cork gets sanded down before it gets glued onto the outsole. So what you're hearing right now is kind of like their process of either sanding the shoe down so it can fit in the cup sole or completing a shoe. So This is like the leather room, or, you know, the material library, you know, just to give it like a fancy name. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is where we pick materials. Um, everything serves a purpose in this little, little material library section. So like we have like Italian pony hair, we have like stingray, we have bison, we have baby bull, we have like textiles from mud cloth, um, Kodora. It's overwhelming. I'm still learning, you know. I still get a chance to learn about new materials and get a play around and pull swatches and kind of it keeps me well versed as far as what's out, what's available, things we could do. Like we any we might take your shirt and make a shoe out of it. So that's like kind of a cool, interesting like material study of how you know what you might not think can go on a shoe can go on a shoe. We have like basketball leather. <laughs> they want crazy leathers, we have it. <laughs> you know, and we get to experiment with. So all the pieces that either that have been hand cut, um, they all get assembled. That's the beauty of it because I'm able to have a conversation with Diego, and um, we're able to. I'm able to give him like a lateral view and a medial view of the of a sketch. He translates that how he feels like he should, and then he shows me the pattern. We discuss it, and then 
were able to make adjustments based on how you know he may not be able to do this line because he's cutting it by hand so certain radiuses you have to be more gentle about and certain things you have to be more kind of got to caress the design and kind of get a feel for what we can and can't do and that's kind of like the beauty of like the limitations and restrictions like you can because we're doing everything by hand we have to train ourselves to cut certain things and design certain ways to make it almost like to simplify and minimal minimalize the design but also add some creative tweaks to it and also being able to do things that are unconventional as well i think that's that's the key is making the shoe and seeing how it looks three-dimensionally and diego will push me and we'll kind of go back and forth to present like a final sample prototype because we have the luxury of being able to have pattern makers in the studio i have that kind of connection that i'm able to talk with with them about is this doable for what we can do and is this possible and then how difficult is this so i'm able to have that kind of upfront conversation with them so that i can negate or avoid any of the issues early on so it's it's an awesome awesome place for yeah me it to, sounds it's not unlike uh, automobile designers talking about yeah. engineers saying can't do that yeah. and what's also fascinating of course and i would imagine you would resonate with this is that as you are engaged in that process and the constraints become clearer yeah. it's actually liberating to yeah. complete and find a design i mean yeah. it's paradoxical you'd think that yeah. it would ruin your idea but in fact it opens up <laughs> it, possibilities it as designers tell me yeah it, yeah, it, it really does it allows me to simplify simplify my design process simplify my thinking simplifying how the product should be made is way more groundbreaking to me for them because they have to they're the ones that are making they're the ones that are cutting you know we try to do ways to make things easy so it can get to the consumer quicker that's kind of in a nutshell what uh what i'm doing at no one and you said that mark is still giving you ideas but are you still conducting the same kind of research as well yeah uh, he gives me those he gives me like a general kind of idea almost similar to like a brief and then you know, I any days where I can sketch and I think of ideas and I propose new ideas to him, he's open to it. This season, we're adding a new element to our show. I will periodically conclude my interviews with a version of the Proust questionnaire that will focus on our guests' creative rituals. It is designed to shine a light on what might emerge from a life built around the creative process. I hope and expect this segment to provide illuminating and, most importantly, useful strategies for artists and designers at any stage in their creative journey. To move forward a little bit, one of the things that I am interested in doing with Art Center students and graduates like yourself is to explore some of the fundamentals of the philosophy of our approach to education, Correct. art and design education at Art Center. And yeah. We throw people in the deep end at Art Center. Yeah. We are project-based. We don't yeah. sit around talking about something, reading books on it, yeah. having uh, various different kinds of conversations and saying, okay, now you get it, go and make it. Yeah. We say, you want to be a product designer, you want to be an illustrator, you want to be a graphic designer, you want to be Correct. an artist, whatever it is, here's a project, go. Yep. Is that the way you learn? 
Yeah. Was that in fact what your experience was? Yes. And it was, you know, you kind of get thrown in the deep end, like you said, which is either sink or swim and you're guided along the way, of course, by the teachers. They're not going to let you sink completely, completely, excuse me, but they're going to guide you in a way that they know what's best for how you want to get out your vision. But it's also a great thing that you're throwing out there is because you're learning. You're learning about yourself. And I think that's the greatest thing um, as a designer is to learn who you are, what you prefer, what you don't prefer, and how you can apply it to your aesthetic. So I think that was something that's, I, I, I appreciate it. I love it to be thrown out. <laughs> and it's the kind of learner you are. Yeah. Does it continue today? Yeah. It's it 100% continues today where, you know, I might get an idea from the boss and he's like, yeah, I like this boot. I was like, okay, well, that doesn't really help. But, you know, think about ideas, present ideas, present new things, present new ways to make the shoe or make ways to construct it or different ideas. And it, it, that leads for new opportunities. So being being very loose-ended with your, with your you know, briefs or being very loose-ended with the kind of things uh, – that are thrown to you and then you kind of taking it and morphing it is very, very fun for me. Yeah. Yeah. The next uh, area really has to do with, we talk a lot about empathy and design and developing that empathy muscle. And uh, I guess my question is, can you teach that? And was it taught to you or if it wasn't, how, how did you make your way to discovering what empathy was about and how that would inform your work? I think it's empathy from, from my perspective was taught early on. I think we had a second, it was a second term project. We were designing children's toys. Again, a very, very niche child demographic who might have had medical conditions. So already that was super early on instilled. Being able to design for that market was interesting. Really, really interesting. So you kind of build that empathy in both places from a parental aspect and also a child's aspect and how you feel like you want to nurture or and how you want to design for for comfort in a way for that for that for that parent and for that child you're trying to tackle this thing of like saving the world but at the same time i like to think if you can impact you know one or two people that's for me like life-changing you know if i can figure out a way to put myself in someone else's shoes and then design a product or design anything that they are very receptive to it in a way that's just the most cherishing thing for me and it's that makes them feel good. I've won. I've Thank won. you. Yeah, beautiful, yeah. beautiful. If you could, f- just a, a, a brief follow-up, how do you get there? How does Ari get to that place of understanding what that child might want or feel or need or crave, yeah. what that parent may want or need or crave? How do you get yourself there? Can you talk about that? Yeah, I kind of just took, the thought about asking questions and doing that kind of research out of the equation. And I just, you know, you just hang out with a person. Like you hung out in Silver Lake. Yeah. Yeah. At the end of the day, we're all humans. (laughs) I'm not asking them to show me their pain. I'm asking them to show me their day to day. I'm asking them to let's go hang out or let's go ride a bike. Or, you know, if it's a kid, let's go play doing that kind of research for me is that'll tell you the truth about some of the things that they may experience. You may experience as a designer, some of their pain points or some of their issues, ergonomic issues or anything. And then, you know, 
you bring it back to them and they say, oh, wow, I didn't know you recognize that. And they, then you have mm-hmm. that, you know, more of an open discussion where, yeah, I realize that, you know, the way you're holding this knife or where you're holding this water bottle was, it looked like it was painful. Is there any way we can do a solution for that? So you kind of jot down those notes and then that's how you're able to have like kind of an open discussion and kind of a more free and relaxed kind of setting where it's not like you're interviewing them or, you know, drilling them on questions in a sense, but you're asking that you're asking those questions throughout the day while hanging out with your consumer. Mm-hmm. That's how I kind of go about doing it. Th- thank you. That's great. And it, it seems that First of all, it's just the human connection allows yeah. for you to get the greatest amount of insight Correct. or develop the greatest empathetic Correct. engagement there. Right? Yes. But also it sounds like uh, rather than following any kind of formula, I mean, you let the breeze blow through a little bit, right? Yeah. And and that, that allows you to connect in in the deepest yes. way. Right? Yeah. Right. So finally, and I talk a lot about this and believe, yeah. it, believe in it strongly, but would love to hear your your riff on it or your your thinking about it. And that has to do with, I like to think that what we do at Art Center is we teach courage. Correct. How does that make sense to you? It makes a lot of sense. The courage that Art Center taught me, you know, confidence in the courage to showcase my artwork, to present it, to package it all up, uh, to be more understanding and be more receptive to criticism. And having those things that you're taught while being an Art Center student is, it'll boost up your confidence, it'll boost up your courage, and then it'll allow you to take on the world because you're able to sit in and have these conversations and kind of being open about what you think and having discussions when you get to a certain brand or company you're like this is this is my opinion on how this should be and you're allowed that kind of creative input because you have that discussions or you you have that built up courage and confidence from art center because you're constantly presenting your work you're constantly you're you know you have an opinion and you have a voice, so when you're working, when you get a chance to work in the field, it's like, this is what I think how it should look. This is my opinion. So you're able to convey that message properly, and you have the courage to, you also have the courage to talk to a sales or marketing team. Right, right. So, right. There's practical it. kind of courage yeah, that you need as well as yeah. courage to be who you are. Of course, yeah. In the most expansive and, yes. and generous way, yeah. I think, yeah, yeah. Well, Ari, I have to say there are a few things that thrill us more at Art Center than to see our students go on to be so thoughtful and successful and passionate about what they do. And you are an inspiration to us. And Thank it's just been much. a complete delight to have this chat with you and to be able to get to know you a little bit. Thank you very much. Thank you for taking the time. And oh, I, we you. <laughs> wish you so much luck as you move forward. You've got a lot to give to the world. Thank you very much. Change Lab is produced and recorded at Art Center College of Design. I'd like to extend a special thanks to our small but mighty production staff. Producer Christine Spines, co-producer Luis Silva, editor Emily Van Bergen, and post-production supervisor and production consultant Christopher Boland. Christopher Boland.